You know, I really like this introduction music. I'm a fan of the subtle beats being dropped at the beginning of every episode of B-Shape Daily. Welcome into the show. Brendan Schaefer here with you for another edition, the ninth edition, episode number nine, coming to you right here on Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Excited to get things rolling here today on a Wednesday. Not necessarily going to be the most Cardinal-centric show that we've ever done. Because the news now in Major League Baseball, just yesterday I got done saying, you know, this is kind of the quietest time of the year. The couple of weeks before spring training, nothing really happens. I think I bailed myself out by mentioning Mookie Betts' name and saying, well, if he's traded, that might be one thing that could be interesting this week. And it happened. It happened last night as the Boston Red Sox go ahead and move Mookie Betts. They didn't want to pay him. They didn't think they could sign him. And so they go ahead and trade him before his final season of team control. And he's now a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And oh, by the way, so is David Price. As the Red Sox unload Mookie Betts and David Price to the Dodgers in exchange for what does it really matter? The Red Sox just gave up one of the best players in baseball. The Boston Red Sox, a team that was supposed to, you know, they had designs on being competitive this year. They might still tell you that's the case, but that's certainly not in line with what they did last night. The attempt to win in 2020. Because if you were going all out to win in 2020, Mookie Betts would still be on your team. David Price, overpaid though he may be, would still be on your team. Like, we're going to get into the merits and potentially what this could look like for Boston going forward. And it doesn't necessarily have to end up being a terrible baseball trade. You know, from an X's and O's standpoint, you could look back on this someday and say, yeah, that actually worked out for them. Like, there's an avenue to that. But you're never going to know the opportunity cost of what they gave up in giving up on bets and not seeing what he could do, seeing whether he could put together another MVP-type season. He's won one of those awards already, by the way. David Price, pretty good in his own right. I know he has dealt with injuries and has not been the same guy since they got him. But that's a guy that, if he can get healthy and get right, potentially a frontline starter in your rotation. And I don't know the exact numbers on what the, the Boston Red Sox are paying in this deal because the Dodgers are getting cash along with bets and price to help pay down some of those contracts. And I don't know what that exact number is. I've seen that the Red Sox are paying $16 million per per year over the next three seasons for price. I don't know if that's, if that's the exact figure, but they're sending money along with price just to have him play for another team, and they're sending bets along with it. So I said last night, if, I, if I'm a Red Sox fan, I am frustrated beyond belief. I mean, just to, to know that your ownership, and it's not a matter of they don't have the money, right? It's about profit margins. You know, this is a billionaire, billionaire owner, could afford to pay both bets and price if he really wanted to, if he really wanted to make a run at the World Series this year. They could afford to do that. So it's not it's not about, ah, we're just so cash-strapped, you know, the lowly Boston Red Sox, they just can't afford all these contracts. That's not the case. It's a matter of we don't want to reduce our profits to the extent that keeping those two players on the payroll would would do. 
and we, we want so much to save a few dozen million dollars or whatever it is that we're going to pay a bunch of money just to have these players go play for other teams. So it's crazy. It's frustrating. I made the comparison last night. It would almost be like if in three years, pretend Jack Flaherty is coming off a of Cy Young or he won a Cy Young within, you know, sometime during that span, which could absolutely happen the way he looked over the second half of last season. And imagine the Cardinals are not able to come to a contract negotiation and, and get him signed long term. And so he's going year to year through arbitration. And because he is such a phenomenal player with a track record of having won a Cy Young, and let's say he finishes second in the voting in another year, because that's what Mookie Betts has done with the MVP in another season, coming in second. And so he's set to earn $27 million. And your team is set to be relatively competitive. You think you got a chance to, to win your division, maybe make a wild card, make a run in the postseason. All that's potentially on the table for you. But imagine the Cardinals' ownership saying, you know, because Jack Flaherty has told us he's thinking he's going to test free agency this offseason, he's not going to re-sign a contract extension with us before testing those waters. You know, even though he's a great player, probably our best player at this point in time, we're going to trade him, see what we can get for him. You know, maybe we get a young piece. And uh, it's not a rebuild, but, but you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a young guy and, and maybe somebody who's cost-controlled for the next five or six years. Won't be as good as Flaherty, because very few are. But we're going to go ahead and go that route because uh, we just we just have too much on the payroll. We can't afford it. I mean, could you imagine? I, I, said, I said on Twitter that I would have to delete the app from my phone and heave my laptop off a balcony just for my own safety because it would be absolute carnage on Twitter in Cardinals Nation. And it would be, right? It, I mean, rightfully so. Cardinals fans would be pissed. I think Red Sox fans have the right to be pretty pissed off today as they trade away, the, you know, a franchise player. And it, reportedly their, their negotiations for contracts had been over $100 million apart, the two sides, in previous numbers that had been exchanged. So it's not like they were close to being able to sign him but it's just because it seems like they were unwilling to pay him what he thinks he's worth. And so we'll see if the open market you know, would agree with that or disagree with that. But Mookie Betts now a Los Angeles Dodger as a result. Now on to what the Red Sox got in exchange for Betts. And again, like I said, we can talk about it from this perspective of it's, it could, could work out. The trade could ultimately be determined you know, years down the road and say, yeah, looking back on that, it wasn't so bad for the Red Sox after all. But we're never going to know what they missed out on potentially winning a World Series this year with, with those players involved. You know, that, that information is never really going to be there. Um, but a lot of it is going to depend on how much and the degree to which outfielder Alex Verdugo can match Mookie Betts, which I'm not thinking he's going to match him. But how close can he come to producing at a comparable level? Alex Verdugo outfielder from the Dodgers, had a pretty good 2019, left-handed thrower, left-handed batter, compiled 3.1 wins above replacement according to baseball reference last season, hit 294, had a good had a good season, 817 OPS, you know, good numbers, the kid's just 23 years old, he'll turn 24 in May, and the Red Sox will now have him under team control for I think five more years, something like that. That he'll be he'll be in their organization, he'll be in their outfield. And so obviously they're only going to have Mookie Betts for one season if they weren't going to re-sign him. And Verdugo, 817 OPS, 
Last year was kind of his breakout year. Uh, previous seasons played a little bit in 2017, just a just a very small cup of coffee. And then in 2018, played a little bit more, another cup of coffee. So not really going to pay much attention to those numbers and the sample size behind those. Last season had a pretty good year. Like I said, three-win three win player, that's pretty good. And he'll be cheap, he'll be affordable, he'll be on the team. You don't have to worry about signing him, he'll be there. But it's hard to fill Mookie Betts' shoes, and you didn't have to have him filled just yet if you really wanted to compete in 2020. You know, I, I think back to last offseason when the Cardinals traded for Goldschmidt, and, you know, Arizona Diamondbacks fans were mad, and they should be. And I'm trying to say, well, why am I, you know, so much more incensed by this one than than the attention we paid to Diamondbacks fans? And I, I don't know if it's a fair characterization that, well, because it's Boston and, and they're perceived to be the larger market, they should have a higher payroll and they should be more willing to to go in and get get their guy and pay him to stay than you would expect of an Arizona Diamondbacks to be able to do with a Paul Goldsmith. Just because smaller market, not not the same tradition, the same history, maybe not, you know, as much in the way of payroll to, to have those expectations that you would compete with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Bostons of the world out there in Phoenix. But in a lot of ways it really is a comparable scenario, but you can look at it a little bit deeper to realize why it isn't quite the same. For one, Mookie Betts at 27 years old, right in the middle of his prime, Paul Goldschmidt on the other side of 30. So maybe you could anticipate as the front office, the downswing would begin. You don't want to pay for his past production when, you know, like a Cardinals with Pujols scenario, when he left for the Angels, he never really produced quite on that same level as he did during his time in St. Louis. So rather than pay Goldschmidt in Arizona for what he's already done for you and you anticipate that he might not be at that same level for much longer, you say, let's see what we can get for him. He's still a very productive player, one of the best first basemen in the game. And they get two solid players in Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver. By all accounts of what we've seen so far, that's going to help revamp that organization you know, those two players go a long way toward the rebuild. And really, the Diamondbacks should be pretty competitive again this season. They were a solid team last year. They've added to their team in the offseason. They traded for Starling Marte. So that's just an example of a team in a smaller market, not quite the same deep pockets. I mean, we're still talking 500 millionaire versus multi-billionaire. So all these people have tons of money. But you could you can understand it a little bit more. But not to mention, the Dodgers in this same trade decided – they're going to they're going to pay potentially half of the remaining contract for David Price just to get him out of there. I'm not saying it was a great contract and I know when the D-backs traded Granky to Houston they paid some of that contract. But from what I'm understanding the totals that are going to be sent Los Angeles's way from Boston for David Price are are probably close to double what the D-backs sent along with Granky to Houston. And so to, to have both those moves happen on the same day for Red Sox fans, that is a clear indication that your ownership just doesn't really care about ensuring that they're as competitive as they can be to win a World Series this year. You know, Verdugo could be a good player, and I understand that the pitching prospect Brewster Gratterall from Minnesota plays a factor in this as well because the Dodgers then sent Kenta Maeda to the Twins so that they could include this pitching prospect, ranked number 63, I believe he was, in the top 100 
as a player heading to Boston in this trade. The, the, the Dodgers were also active yesterday. They then traded Jock Peterson to the Angels. They also sent Ross Stripling in that deal to the Angels. So the Dodgers were moving guys around themselves. But all of that to, to make it happen to get Mookie Betts and David Price, uh, worthwhile expenditures on their part. you got to respect it from the Dodgers. They're making their goal completely clear. They want to win a World Series. That's been what they've been trying to do for the last several years. They keep getting really close. They keep not winning it. And so this is the latest in their 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 quest to try to get to that mountaintop. And you got to respect the heck out of it, especially if you're a Dodgers fan, and say, look, I mean, we're, we, we've got clearly the best roster in the National League, probably in all of baseball, stacked right up there alongside the Houston Astros. Uh, both teams are, you know, very, very strong. I would say the Dodgers probably the best roster at this point in time because they've also got those young pitchers like Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, you know, that could be in their rotation, that could be weapons out of the bullpen for them. So the Dodgers are absolutely stacked right now. Uh, Julio Urias as well as another young pitcher for that team that could could potentially be in the rotation or out of the bullpen this season. So they're in they're in really really great shape and it's because their ownership clearly willing to spend because they want to win that World Series. And then maybe once they win that World Series, they'll tear it all down and be like, this is ridiculous how much money we're spending on all these players, and and they'll ship guys off. But for right now, credit to the Dodgers for going for it. I wanted to kind of dive in momentarily at least, you know, alongside the, the conversation with this trade, is people say, okay, the Cardinals obviously could use an outfielder, right? I mean, they just lost Marcelo Zuna. I know you love Harrison Bader's defense in center field, but a lot of Cardinals fans don't even think he is necessarily worthy of being in the starting lineup. And so, my goodness, how great would Mookie Betts be for a year? You know, and I know he's owed $27 million. That's a that's a big number, but it's just one season. And what a great fit he would be. But you, you look at what it took to get this trade done, first of all. the I don't think the Cardinals have an outfielder the caliber of Alex Verdugo to trade in that offer, first of all, because if they did, you know, a guy who, who at least for one season has proven to be a quality big leaguer, 23 years old, like Dylan Carlson a year from now could be, could be that same thing. But maybe the Red Sox were saying, well, if we are going to give up Mookie Betts, we at least want somebody proven, you know, but for another matter, the Cardinals aren't trading somebody like Dylan Carlson for one year of a player. They're just not going to do that especially when that player is owed $27 million and you know Carlson's going to be under team control for six years. Like, the, the Cardinals understand the, the trade the Red Sox made, I'm sure, but it's, it's not one that I think they would be able to do themselves if put in the similar position because the fans would absolutely go crazy. They would riot. But, I mean, when we talk about all these things like team control and, you know, ha- having young young prospects and players and keeping them – safe from these kinds of trade discussions. That's what we're talking about all the time within the context of the Cardinals. And so that's why I say, look, we praise the Cardinals for keeping Dylan Carlson. And so you could turn around and, yeah, you could praise the Red Sox for getting Alex Verdugo. But it's just a different set of circumstances to know that, A, they would have the money to re-sign Mookie Betts if they wanted to. And, B, they're giving up on the last year of control they do have over him to try to make a run this year with him. And so it's it's a frustrating thing for a fan, and the optics of it are not very good at all. 
And so that's why I'm not really spending much time looking at it from the Red Sox perspective and saying, well, here's how it could work out. Like I've alluded to the fact that it could, and I've told you, you know, Verdugo, pretty good player. You could see that if he turns into a guy over the next five years that's an all-star three times and, you know, has a, has an 825 OPS or whatever and could play some good outfield, like you could see how that could pan out. But the, that is never going to improve the optics of this situation to trade away a, a franchise player when you're the Boston Red Sox. They're not the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is not them trading a 31-year-old Paul Goldschmidt. It's a 27-year-old Mookie Betts who who could very well win an MVP this season. Um, he's got a teammate now in Cody Bellinger who literally did just win the MVP last season, though. So he's got some stiff competition there in Los Angeles. And now within L.A., you have Bellinger, you have Mookie Betts, they're in the same lineup, and then you have Rendon, Anthony Rendon at third base for the other team in L.A., the Angels, and oh yeah, by the way, Mike Trout. So a pretty good quartet of position players in the city of Angels. But real quick, I kind of got sidetracked there. I want to talk about this in the context of the Cardinals and why the Mookie Betts thing would not have been in play for them. Mentioned his salary. Mentioned that he's only going to be around for one year and then he's going to go into free agency. The Dodgers don't really care about that. They'll pay him. You know, they're in that win-now mode that the Cardinals really, I don't think, ever anticipate or intend to be in. They don't ever want to be win-now in St. Louis. They want to be, and they've talked about this, they want to be win every year, compete every year. And what that means is you're never really going to go all in and go for it in one given season at the at the expense of the process of what you know of what this team typically does building their organization. You're never going to see the Cardinals do that. And so it just was never going to happen that they were going to trade for Mookie Betts on a one-year thing because of what it would have taken to get him. They probably don't even want to raise the payroll for one season by that amount. Not that they couldn't. They absolutely could. It's the same thing with the Arenado deal. And especially when, you know, you see the fact that Boston's willing to throw in maybe close to $50 million to get this deal done. You know, they're going to pay David Price to not play for them. And so, yeah, the you know, the Dodgers will have to be paying David Price, who in a couple of years could not be worthwhile. But it's just a no-brainer, I think, from the Dodgers' perspective because they've got the money to do it and they've got the desire to win right now and so that just aligns perfectly that a team like Boston in 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 this season was looking to move a player like Mookie Betts it's crazy how talented the Dodgers are going to be because of this but yeah I understand what you're saying but I I think if you really sit back and think about it for a moment I could understand wanting Arenado because more than likely you'd be addressing that uh, opt-out situation and if you were to get him he'd probably be here for a long time Mookie Betts seems dead set on going to free agency. The Dodgers, I guess, are the one team because, you know, when when it's the Dodgers and the Yankees, they always think, well, we can change that guy's mind, bring him to L.A., put him in this environment. We're going to be a winning team. They probably have designs on trying to sign him long term. But if Betts wants to go to free agency, he, he certainly is welcome to do that. It's just the Cardinals were never going to be involved in this because of, of, of all of those factors. So I understand if that was your reaction from yesterday, and I know some fans were saying that online. I was seeing some of that on Twitter. At Schaefer 12 is where you can find me there. But this, I mean, it wasn't even worth discussing really in the context of the Cardinals in the lead-up to this because we just knew for a fact, even more so than we feel for sure about Arenado not, not moving to the Cardinals because of the payroll thing. 
we knew that it was going to be a payroll thing involving Mookie Betts, and the other element of it was that's a win-now situation because you're not going to give up an Alex Verdugo if you're the Cardinals. Even if you had one, you're not going to do that for one year of Mookie Betts. It's just not the way the Cardinals operate. And during times where the Cardinals are coming in second in the NL and they're getting swept out of the NLCS, and during times where they're not making the playoffs over the previous three seasons, that's a frustration to fans, I'm sure, because you want that instant gratification. Uh, But the Cardinals, I I just don't see it happening in 2020. I think they're set up pretty well for the following seasons after that, unless things change dramatically. I don't see the Cardinals having a reset kind of season. They're not going to go 75 and 87 by all estimations because they've they've got that organizational structure and they're building things from the bottom up and, and, and they trust what they have internally. You know, that might mean a lot of 83 to 85 win seasons or 86 win seasons, and that's kind of what we saw from 2016 to 2018 when the Cardinals couldn't quite get into the postseason, and that's definitely frustrating. But, you know, to keep fan interest, they feel like that's the way they want to go about it. They want to be consistently competitive. They don't want to take a step back at any point ever because if they do, they risk kind of jeopardizing the goodwill that's been built up over the course of this entire century. You know, since Tony La Russa got to St. Louis shortly after that, he turned things around. You know, they had the Mark McGuire home run chase in 98. That kind of held people's attention. And then after that, the Cardinals were making the playoffs virtually every season with very minimal lapses in that in that blueprint. And so that's the way the Cardinals go about it. It's why they weren't involved in the Mookie Betts thing. But obviously you can understand from a fan standpoint. Yeah, it would have been great to see Mookie Betts in that outfield. But hey, the internal options, man, that's what the Cardinals are going to be rolling with this season. And I think to some extent, you know, I was having this conversation with Zach Gifford earlier today on Twitter talking about, you know, the Cardinals, their issue hasn't always been that they're not willing to spend at all, but there have been instances in recent in the recent past where the Cardinals were willing to spend, and you could argue looking back, on, they spent on things they didn't really need. You know, they thought they, they needed a Mike Leak at the time, but, but paying him $80 million and then eventually sending him off to Seattle and not actually getting the benefit of his pitching, and I use that term benefit a little bit loosely. I know a lot of fans were, were fine seeing him go because he wasn't particularly productive at times for the Cardinals. But I think anytime you're paying a player to go somewhere else and potentially be productive, which he was perfectly league average when he was with Seattle uh, so far in his career there. So, you know, to, anytime you're doing that, it's it's probably frustrating. And so it's not that fans are, are mad about the Cardinals spending money, but sometimes you can look at the money they have spent and thought, man, why wouldn't they go in for the big fish instead of paying Leak $80 million and Dexter Fowler $80 million when, you know, you could have had in those seasons internal replacements that could have been just as good as those guys that you're paying essentially market value to be league average or slightly above, you know, and that's kind of what happens in free agency. And I think the Cardinals, to an extent, have learned their lesson from that a little bit. Um, and I want to be fair to the Cardinals, too. At the time, if the Cardinals had not signed Dexter Fowler that offseason, the fans would have been pissed. Like, the whole entire fan base would have rioted about that because the Cardinals set up that offseason to say, hey, we're going to get a center fielder. We're going to make an impact addition at that at that spot. And if they hadn't done it after declaring that they would, 
it would have been an outright disaster. But I think you've seen a, a change in the Cardinals, the way they approach the offseason since then. They might talk about one to get an impact bad, or they might talk about their plans, but I don't think they've they've done it with nearly the certainty that they did in that particular offseason when they said, we're going to get a center fielder. They basically came out and said it. And since then, it's kind of like, we're not going to set the expectations at that level because we don't want to box ourselves into a deal that we don't necessarily think is good because we kind of feel like we have to for PR. I'm not saying that that's what the Cardinals did with Fowler. You know, it, it may have been, it may not have been. My viewpoint is that they wanted Adam Eaton and then thought they were going to be able to trade for him. And then when they couldn't, because he ended up going to the Nationals for two top 100 prospects at the time, and then a little bit more than that on top of things, the Cardinals were like, well, the trade market just went insane for center fielders. You know, no Charlie Blackman, no Eaton. Those guys aren't going to pan out. We're going to sign Fowler, whether or not he was their first choice or second choice or third choice or fourth choice, you know, whatever. We'll never really know. It doesn't really matter. But I, I think it's interesting to note that at the time, we all thought it needed to happen. And when it did happen, I think the Cardinals were praised for the move. People said they went above and beyond to get their guy. But that's kind of in a different free agency tier. Cardinal fans would love to see them go and get a guy that, you know, like Mookie Betts this next season, like Bryce Harper in the past, like Manny Machado. They, they want to see them get these rare free agents that come about in their prime or see a willingness for the Cardinals to make trades for those guys before they turn 30. Those guys don't always become available, and when they do, you're talking $300, $400 million potentially that you're going to have to to pay to keep them around. You know, it's why the Arenado thing is so attractive. He's still kind of in that age range where he's got some prime years left, and so fans would love to see it. And you can make an argument that if the Cardinals had, you know, not signed Leak, not signed Fowler, not signed Brett Cecil, Knicks, the Greg Holland, like every team makes bad signings, but you could look at the ones the Cardinals have had in kind of that mid-tier range of free agency rather than the elite tier that's going to cost you. The Cardinals have tried to dabble in that mid-tier and say, we think we're going to get a better value here because if we do end up signing David Price, which they tried to do and got outbid kind of at the last moment, but say they went ahead and would have gotten David Price for whatever that $180 million was, that would be an example of one giant contract, the biggest in team history. And if he would have had the same seasons that he's had for Boston with getting injured and whatever, if all that would have happened in St. Louis and he'd come here, Cardinals fans would be hating that contract right now. And they'd be hoping the Cardinals could get rid of it in some form or fashion, send it to another team. And that's kind of always been the Cardinals viewpoint is we don't want to go all of our eggs into one basket like that, because if that particular time we do it, it doesn't pan out, then we're screwed. Or not screwed, but we're going to say we're screwed because we don't have the money to, to, to build a roster around that, even though if you lower your profit margins, you would. But that's what they're going to say is that, well, we've really strapped ourselves in on this one contract, and so now we, we can't build the team that we need to, and we might have to have a reset because of it and not be competitive for a couple of years. That's what the Cardinals want to avoid. They've gotten close a couple of times to signing guys to those kinds of contracts. You know, they they did it with, with David Price, as we mentioned. They tried to sign him to $180 million. They were outbid. They reportedly were in on the John Carlos Stanton thing, which is just crazy to me because – you know, they weren't then in on, on Bryce Harper thereafter at all. Um, and so I don't know if that was thinking their lucky stars that they didn't get Stanton because he spent the whole season injured last year. And, 
would still have a ton remaining on what is likely to end up as a bad contract. But with these bad contracts, what you're hoping to accomplish is getting the most out of players in their prime years. And so when you look at Price and you look at Stanton, and both those guys have been injured as part of the prime seasons, and you know you wouldn't have gotten that value, you can step back and say, okay, the Cardinals were probably fortunate that they didn't end up with those guys. But that that doesn't keep you from saying, man, how tasty would Nolan Arenado be for the next five years if he's healthy? So it's going to happen eventually. I think that the Cardinals are going to go in on one of these mega players. Um, I don't know if it's going to be soon, but you figured if time goes on long enough and we don't get obliterated from planet Earth and baseball continues to be played and they get a new CBA and all these things, like eventually the Cardinals are going to have a $200 million player. You, you have to figure. It's got to be the right guy, though, because you've seen the risk in when it isn't. And if the Cardinals are stuck with a contract like that, I do think they're going to limit themselves elsewhere with the payroll. But it is kind of interesting to look at it and say, wow, if they hadn't gone and overpaid or you could at least just say paid market value for some of these players in a lower free agent bucket that arguably you could have had internal replacements for and you wouldn't have necessarily missed those guys incredibly. You didn't know it at the time, but you know Tommy Pham could have done Dexter Fowler's role in 2016 more than likely. And you know if he's healthy, like that's just an example. But you know Mike Leake was decidedly average with the Cardinals. You could have had a lot of the prospects who have come up since probably get a little bit of a quicker start, a quicker jump to the major league rotation, and they probably would have panned out similarly and you wouldn't have needed to spend that money. So I think part of the way the Cardinals go about this kind of does have that in mind. You know, you're going to learn from your mistakes as you go along, and you're going to just want to be really selective with the free agents that you do spend 60 or $80 million on. You want to be more selective with the free agents you give four-year contracts to when they're left-handed relievers after the Brett Cecil deal, right? You're probably even going to have a little bit more caution with, with the Greg Hollins of the world that you think, they could be good on 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 you for a one year deal because you you're just exploiting a market inefficiency where you know because nobody signed him in its opening day we think we can pay him a little bit less we can get him for one year and that's going to be great so like you learn from these things as you go along that doesn't mean the cardinals aren't going to approach free agency in the future you know they've certainly been comfortable with the overseas markets by getting pitchers getting miles michaelis getting kk this offseason i think that's something the Cardinals feel confident in their evaluation of guys and they're able to do that and exploit what is kind of an inefficiency because if you know what you're talking about with these pitchers and you get a KK this season he's getting paid virtually nothing so there's no risk there and the reward is potentially really high those are the kinds of diamonds in the rough the Cardinals are trying to find you could argue Michaelis was the same thing he only made like eight million a season or whatever it was for that that two-year contract they signed him to initially And even that is not an incredibly great risk when you recognize the potential for a guy that could be a workhorse in your rotation. And so the Cardinals feel good about those kinds of things. I think otherwise, in free agency in recent seasons, they've got to recalibrate a little bit going forward with how they approach. And we're not obviously going to see it this offseason because they didn't really sign anybody from that caliber of player. They didn't give out those kinds of multi-year contracts, four- and five-year deals. You know, they didn't dip their toe into the Nick Castellanos waters when he goes for $64 million. They didn't dip their toe into the multi-year for Marcelo Zuna. So I think part of that, you know, led to some frustration that they didn't address left field. But I think also you can look at 
those past deals that are in a similar bucket and say those didn't really pan out. And so the next time the Cardinals do sign a four or five year contract to somebody as a free agent, I think it's going to be interesting to analyze and say, who is that player? What makes them different in the eyes of the team than the previous contracts that they've extended to guys that haven't necessarily panned out? I think it's really kind of an interesting thought exercise and maybe something we'll get to explore in the winter of 2021 because uh, obviously we're approaching spring training now and the free agency uh, pool has pretty well dwindled. And if you do sign somebody at a free agency, it's going to be on a short kind of pillow contract you'd have to imagine. So interesting to see. That's just kind of how I view the Cardinals free agency approach in context of this Mookie Betts deal. You look at what the Cardinals try to do. It's obviously different from what the Dodgers are trying to do right now, going for it, winning right now. But it's also different from what the Red Sox are trying to do because the Cardinals hope they put themselves in a position where they never have to make that kind of trade of a franchise player during a season in which they think they're going to be competitive. So kind of a good juxtaposition that you can can see between the three franchises and where they are today. The Cardinals definitely want to win this year, but they're not going to do it at the expense of the future. And that's for right or wrong. You might say, I want them to do that because if they win a World Series, I don't care what they do for the next couple of years. You say that now. I think I know Cardinals fans, though, better than that. If that's a thought you're going through, I, I have to call BS on it because I think I'd know that in a couple of years, if they were going 75 and 87, you'd be either apathetic or you wouldn't be paying attention at all, which is exactly what the Cardinals ownership wants to avoid. Or you would be really, really angry and you know calling for the heads of the front office after they just theoretically brought a World Series within the last couple of years. I mean, I think Blues fans have been pretty chill after the Stanley Cup win, but you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to want to win when they get into the playoffs. And, and you know, it's going to be as, as heart-pounding as it ever was. People want to repeat, you know, it's never enough. So I think from the Cardinals fan perspective, I would understand if you'd make that argument. I would say it'd be interesting to live out that reality in an alternate universe and see whether or not you'd actually be satisfied by that approach of go for it at whatever expense it might come later on in in, in future subsequent seasons. Like, you look at the Chicago Cubs. They won the World Series in 16. That was amazing. Cubs fans now are kind of like, you know, what are we going to get? Are we going to potentially be approaching a rebuild situation with some of these guys? If they were to trade Chris Bryant, Cubs fans would be pissed. Understandably so. So it's just kind of interesting to see how the different franchises approach things. Um, But excited overall to get started with baseball season. A week from today, I'll be going to Jupiter, Florida, and right in, right in the thick of spring training as that all gets underway next week. So really excited about that. I appreciate you guys for joining me for another episode today. Um, hopefully you got to the Cardinals talk at the end. I know it was a little bit more broad-spectrum uh, Major League talk with the bets trade earlier in the podcast, but appreciate you guys for listening. Would love to have you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If that's Spotify, I know you can follow the show there. Apple Podcasts, I know there's a way to subscribe. Uh, there's there's eight total applications. Google Podcasts is now up. There's eight different places you can get the podcast. If you go to the page anchor.fm slash bshafer12, that will show you there will be links to to all of the different places. That's kind of where it is all disseminated from on Anchor. And go where you get your podcast. We'd love to have you subscribe. Uh, We'll come to you live with another episode tomorrow. I guess not live for you. It'll be on a delay because I'll have to upload it. But come to you with another episode on Thursday. And we're getting closer, folks. It'll be spring training before you know it. So thanks for listening to this episode of B-Shape Daily. 
We're going to talk to you tomorrow.